Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the U.S. Cell Show. Um, it's been uh, it's been quite the week. The U.S. Open Cup is going on, but if the cup is going on and no one's around to see it, is it really happening? Mm, some things we'll never know. I guess we'll have to rely on people to update us on that. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so other than that, we've had some blowouts. Uh, two title favorites get blown out in both leagues, but we'll get to all that in a little bit. First and foremost, um, to the person that's below me wearing an El Paso uh, Fernando Tatis hat <laughs> or Chihuahuas, one of the two, Phil. Hey, uh, yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to this. Although, yeah, at the bit of a damper to start the week to find out that I won't be able to watch a locomotive like a competitive locomotive game for the first time in their five-year history so i'm not loving that um but other than that good start to the week and uh yeah excited to chat about some some good championship league one action well luckily for fans if they want to take it upon themselves and live streaming on twitter it's not that expensive right alan (laughs) <laughs> yeah and, and until u.s soccer sends you the bill for several thousand dollars for uh the rights to stream a soccer match that otherwise is not being produced yeah it's uh it's wild out there like we're gonna have to start gofundme campaigns to get soccer on streaming platforms these uh and it's wild i think nicholas murray had a great tweet of like he remembers back in the day where, you know, teams would go on like crazy runs and beat MLS sides, but you didn't get to see it unless you lived in the New York area and you just had to read about it. It's like we're in the 1800s again, where we have to wait for the post to come out with the the scores later on with the, the breakdowns and it's wild. It just doesn't feel like we're in 2023. I mean, it feels like we're in uh, England when they can't watch any of their 3 p.m. kickoffs. So they just have to (laughs) assume that games are occurring. And then when there is a goal that you can see, you just assume everything went wrong. and You just sell the entire team. I mean, that's a safe (laughs) assumption, to be fair. Um, I mean, for anybody that's wondering, I mean, they're saying that Tampa Bay is winning 2-0 against Nona FC, but we don't know that. I in my head, Kanan, Nona of League Two is up by seven because the Rowdies suck now, apparently. So for soccer competition. And our Armada is up two people because that's something also like I like to think that they're just playing the full 90 minute match on football manager and they don't have the heart to tell us that. <laughs> Their saves coming right now. <laughs> Speaking of sca- uh, saves coming, something you've never done, right, Ryan? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> How you doing, man? You doing all right? Yeah, I'm doing well tonight. Um, wearing my Holy City FC shirt in honor of Charleston beginning their Open Cup campaign and their unbeaten start to the season. I have the black and the pink version of those Holy City. Yeah, I love that one. The The Patriots point, the bridge that goes over is just so good. If anybody hasn't gone out to Charleston, 
for a for an away day. We did the away day for the USL show last year. Forewarning: the mosquitoes will try to kill you, but everything else is worth it. <laughs> and that bridge is uh, really cool. I know they do a road race over it every year. I think a marathon or so, which would be a really cool uh, thing to at least run on. I mean, when can we start getting like F1 to go over the bridge? Yeah. <laughs> Drive to survive. Just don't wreck. That's the actual literal surviving. Nicholas Latifi's out of the sports, so no concerns there. <laughs> but look. We can sit here and talk about everything and all of the stuff going on with the U.S. Open Cup, but we need to get into a little bit of what happened because, oh boy, did a lot happen, and a little bit of what is coming up. If you didn't see, we did predict all of these U.S. Open Cup, uh, USL versus USL. We did miss the Nona one. That's because I'm an idiot. Um, but other than that, it's every League One versus uh, Championship or League One versus League One, Championship versus Championship, whatever. Matchups, they're all – we all have those. And then, per usual, check out Ryan's page to see our normal predictions. But let's go ahead and check out that USL Tactics show. Even though he's not here, you do get to hear the sultry voice of Mr. John Amorosi. Hello and welcome into the USL Tactics show. For this week, I want to talk about the Oakland Roots mid-game change to turn to Johnny Rodriguez as their striker laid on and how that changed the dynamic against New Mexico. You can see in the numbers that Rodriguez is having an excellent 2023, and the way that he involved himself deeper in build-up really gave Oakland an effective way to beat New Mexico's deep-lying defense. Now, that's not to say that starting forward Anwar Pelaez had a poor game. You're seeing him there shepherding a long ball. He's staying in the middle of the box making sure that there's a presence to be a target for crosses. And given how effective Memo Diaz and Edgardo Rito were in this matchup, that wasn't necessarily a bad thing for the Roots. However, they didn't really have the best chances across the game because of the way that New Mexico stayed compact and was able to pack the box against what Palaez offers. There was a need for a change if you're Oakland, and that's what Johnny Rodriguez ended up bringing when he was brought on around the 62nd minute. Within just moments of him entering this matchup, Rodriguez joined down in the midfield, got a touch, and dragged New Mexico out in the process. Just by moving from striker deeper into the midfield, he opened up space between those defenders because he was dragging players out of position. The ball he plays, of course, is brilliant, and the way that he follows up towards the net, crashing in to get that rebound goal is everything here. But the way that he positions himself initially is big. You'll see a couple more examples here of the way that Rodriguez is getting involved. He's spraying that pass out to Rito there to create a shot. In this next one, he's just getting another touch in the half space. But they're all exemplary of the way that Rodriguez changed this game. Of course, what makes him special is that he does have some of those strikerly moves in him. You'll see him fill in at the near post, get a shot here. It's, again, just an example of the way that Oakland was able to respond beat New Mexico in a way that fit their play style and their roster. And it's a credit to both Rodriguez and Noah Delgado. I hate myself. I was, I was slurping on some water and I didn't want you all to hear it. Instead, I muted myself. I had such a good intro to that. Obviously, New Mexico ends up going down a man, but you know, not before going down a goal. The first 
you know, that that first half, neither team were really doing a whole lot. But even before the red card, New Mexico, I think the bigger story here is, and I don't want to take away from, from Johnny, uh, Johnny Rodriguez or anybody else, because I mean, it was a good tactical change, but Oakland was dominating all night long. The way that they were playing anyway, it was a little bit of a stalemate in the first half, but that New Mexico wasn't doing anything. And it's starting to make me kind of step back. And it's so early in the season, overreactions are overreactions, right? But how much of what I was excited about against Miami just seemed to completely go away. I don't know what happened between that Miami match and this Oakland match, other than maybe it's just a good team going against, you know, going against a team that kind of fits how to beat them. But even then, it didn't even feel like that. Yeah, I think like I think there is an element here of almost us at least in this match like we were lower on roots to start the season and Noah Delgado's like built our faith in Oakland whereas Zach Prince and New Mexico have probably come down a little bit in terms of like how they've started and I think I think this is a bad matchup for them just based on the fact that Oakland do play with two wingbacks similar to how New Mexico does. So that kind of like nullifies some of some of what New Mexico try to do, particularly with Portillo and Swartz being like big parts of the attack. And they weren't really able to like get as involved um, in things as I think they would like. But I mean, in a match where you have like, even with Christian Nava out now for New Mexico, when you have Weehan, Moar, Moreno and Hurst all available, like, you'd expect that to be like pretty potent attacking lineup. And, uh, and it was, they were only able to produce nine total shots across the whole 90 minutes. Um, so not exactly great in terms of attacking volume. And I think this is going to be continue to be like a, a problem for Zach Prince to solve is how do we get this attack? Like, clicking in a way and i think it's a problem they had last season i think it's going to continue to be a problem this season unfortunately well luckily sorry ryan i'll be quick but luckily you know they don't have as many striking options to clutter things up this year that was a big issue last year they had an actual embarrassment of riches but the thing is is when the riches didn't make them you know (laughs) rich essentially in goals they just kept just trying new things never let anybody get in form but when you have chris Weehan having the only shot inside of the box the entire night, and it's from a pretty rough angle anyway. I mean, you can sit there and say, well, you know, Oakland would really just condense the box. They did that normal 3-4-3 that they kept from Juan Guerra, and they just really condensed the box and didn't let them get shots off. But the biggest issue for me is that, I mean, New Mexico just did not, or not, yeah, New Mexico just did not look progressive in anything they did. They just felt so stagnant. And as we compared it to last year, talking about their embarrassment of virtues within uh, attack, they had 16 games where they had multiple goals in that game. And if you take away that one match they had against Phoenix where they scored seven, that was still 15 games that they had a significant goal tally in, and they just didn't seem like that kind of same team. And we even said this all last season that, yeah, they're getting the results. They're staying kind of in that fourth and fifth spot in the playoffs, but like none of us really backed them going into the postseason as being able to make any noise or get the job done. And of course they score in their open cup match, as I say that. But I also, I'm really curious with like just how the scheduling started this season. They had their, 
uh, the opening match against the Miami on March 18th, and then didn't get another game until April 1st. And I really am curious if that kind of just threw off any of their training or development or preparation for the season, because they've still played only two games in a league where majority of the rest of the teams have played four or five games already. Yeah. Well, look, we're going to be talking about a whole lot of stuff tonight, and we have a whole lot of bigger topics happening. We're going to put some of the bigger discussions, like what happened with Sacramento and Louisville. We're kind of pushing that to the predictions so we don't overlap those conversations, but we will get there. So we're going to try to get through these. Next up, Mr. Underwood, will you tell us how in the world does San Diego come back from two goals down and for my best friend, Nick Moon, to finally score? Um, I <laughs> best friend. <laughs> he doesn't know it. He doesn't know that. <laughs> um, he might. Um, <laughs> this one was fun. Like these San Diego Phoenix games are almost like must watch every time. Every time, like there's going to be some sort of chaos. There's going to be a team losing their head. There's going to be epic comebacks. There's going to be nice goals. Uh, this was kind of a reverse from the first match, like Phoenix dominated possession in the first game and, and loyal really uh, was the more dominant in, as far as ball possession was concerned. I think San Diego played like the home team for the first 30 minutes or so. And it forced Phoenix to kind of uh, go long ball. And that's where Phoenix had success playing out into the space in the wings uh, where, you know, a, a Blake bodily, who's essentially a winger trying to play wing back uh, was exposed um as maybe not as comfortable in defending, uh, maybe takes a step the wrong direction, and by that point, Phoenix is is in. Uh, but then at the end of the match, San Diego flipped the script. They were doing the same thing to them, finding space on the outside, getting to the touchline, cutting the ball across. I think the second goal is a little bit fluky. Uh, it bounces off of like 23 people on the way to the goal, including the goalkeeper and a defender uh, who's behind the line. This is just what these two teams are going to do to each other. They're going to throw heavyweight punches at each other and just keep going, whether they're up three or down three. And that makes it really fun to watch. Uh, congratulations to Phoenix for you know setting a, a, a record for ticket sales. Um, it's kind of a big stadium, so you don't realize like how full it actually is. Uh, you could tell it's right by the airport, which is also really cool. It's back in Phoenix. It's no longer in Chandler. So big up to Phoenix for making that happen in an environment where even MLS teams are struggling to find places to play in downtowns. Uh, so shout out to them and what they were able to do and the environment that they were able to create. Uh, but I think this is just what to expect from San Diego versus Phoenix. Like they just don't stop. And inevitably, someone's going to get some cards. A coach or a player is going to lose their brain uh, and get frustrated. Uh, and both teams had an opportunity to score late to make it a 3-2 win. Like, this could have been – these three points were swinging back and forth all night long. Um, unfortunately, Phoenix is on the, the bad side of this, giving up the two late goals. And now they have two points on three in three games. And I think San Diego feels good about walking away from Phoenix with four out of six points for the year. And uh, the tiebreaker, right? They already have a tiebreaker over uh, probably going to be a really competitive team. Phoenix looks like they're starting to put some stuff together. They have some really nice players on their team. And, I mean, what else is there to say? But if you're a neutral, that game probably was really fun to watch. It is 
truly crazy that it is April and Phoenix and Loyal have already played both of their games against each other. Like that just doesn't make any sense. Um, like Not first and that. foremost. Not just that, Phoenix played them back-to-back games. Right. <laughs> it doesn't, like, it truly doesn't make any sense. The The other thing here, and I mean, just to, this isn't to, like, pile on Phoenix at all. I think there was, in the first goal that Phoenix scored, there were so many, it was so reminiscent to me of old Phoenix. Like, that long diagonal switch in behind the defense to, you know, who used to be Asante, now, now, yo, in behind uh, for, uh, was it Cuello out there? Or no, Uzuchakwu, I think, was playing out on that wing. Anyway, either way, like, they they got in behind, square pass, goal. Like, easy, very simple, like, and just, they made, it felt very old school Phoenix. Then, Quaisha? Yeah, uh, yeah, I maybe... I, I can't remember, but the but the bottom line is like they they play this long diagonal. They're in behind square pass goal, and it felt very uh, old Phoenix. The new Phoenix and like where they've fallen off from where they used to be is at two at two nil. Like the old dominant Phoenix teams like choke that game out. They they find a way to to see that out and get the three points. Like I'm not saying they don't give up any goals or keep a clean sheet or anything like that. Loyal is a good attacking team. Like they can hurt you. But two nil up with 15 to go. Like you've got you've got to see it out. Like at home, and that is just so. That is the difference for Phoenix now, and where Guerra like has his work cut out for him is like how does he get back to that killer instinct Phoenix where if you're up two nil at home with less than 20 minutes to go, like you get three points, like guaranteed. That was just how Phoenix always was. And they're not like that anymore. And it's like the, it's the mentality, right? Like you can see them start to panic a little bit when loyal school scored their first goal and they start to get in their heads and then they give up the second. And then it's all these handballs and they're like losing their mind. Like that was kind of the end of the Phoenix domination when you had players who, and this is, I think, one of the, the the detractors from Loyal last season too is you had these really good players who would just like mentally get just distracted by all the referee and all the calls, and I think that was why you frustrated Phoenix in the past. But yeah, tune up, tune nil up at home. You would expect them to be able to take advantage of the space created and and probably get a third before the other team got their second. Um, but I, th- I think. I think there's some learning there, but I, I, they do have the ability and the horses to really get this done. And there are several teams in the league right now who are playing below where I think they're going to end up at the end of the season. I mean, this was a Phoenix team that got shut out at home multiple times last year and had this, this really crushing defeats. I mean, you had uh, Birmingham and El Paso go into Phoenix and pick off second half goals to win one nil. And, yeah, Rising may be one of three teams in the Western Conference right now that are without a win and the one that's currently bottom of the table. But, yeah, it's just I think it's one of those that it's just going to come with time, like uh, you said, Alan, that um, they're eventually going to have to learn how to kind of close out these results. And it's just something we haven't seen in a Phoenix Rising team since 2021. And like speaking of that 2021 season, that was Phoenix going unbeaten in the regular season against San Diego and they finished first. So going unbeaten in that series is very good omens for San Diego. (laughs) I mean, 
Well, I mean, you kind of talk about Phoenix being bottom of the table. I mean, just the two teams that they've played are Charleston and where they got points. They had to go to San Diego, which, yes, 3-0 looks awful. But if you watch the game, it was a close game. You could you could almost argue, if you look at the underlying stats, that Phoenix did play better for a majority of the match. But three moments, they just were not up to snuff defensively. And then you get to this final match where they once again have to play San Diego, who are going to be title contenders, who are, you know, supporter shield contender team. I mean, that's probably the three hardest teams you could draw. I mean, <laughs> that sucks. I mean, and for your first game at home, for you to blow a 2-0 lead, and yes, I get what you're saying with an, the old Phoenix team, you know, crushes that before uh, San Diego can get on top of that. I also throw in the caveat of it's Phoenix versus San Diego. Lord knows what's going to happen, right? Like, th- this could be the old Phoenix where if – they take on another squad. Let's, I don't know, RGV, right? They go up to nil against RGV. They probably get their third. Maybe, you know, it's one of those, it's one of those situations that, you know, any other team besides maybe Sacramento, San Antonio, and, and San Diego, your Phoenix is walking away with all three. I think the concern for Phoenix is just looking ahead on their schedule. It's, getting to opponents where it could be dangerously spiraling into a longer uh, winless run because you have Birmingham, Monterey, San Antonio, Loudoun, and Tampa Bay, those latter two, who uh, depends on their day if they show up or not. But you have known quality teams in Birmingham, Monterey Bay, and San Antonio there that could really, if they start the year six matches winless, it's one of those that you talk about the mentality that you don't want to see their heads drop if these results don't go their way. Yeah, and that Birmingham, San Antonio, and Tampa Bay are all on the road, which makes them even more challenging. Yeah. Please please stop picking up Birmingham. It's all going to fall apart. I'm just preparing myself. It's fine. Um, moving on, going from one host to the other let's go out to tulsa versus el paso the battle of the two baseball fields one of them looking a little rough although i do want to throw out there tulsa's field looks awful but it plays pretty true i know it looks bad but we don't see the awful bobbles like you see at new mexico new mexico's pitch is just awful even though it may look better than tulsa tulsa's plays better than it looks but that ends up being one of the best matches of the of the year so far and i don't want to put words in uh phil's mouth but you know for tulsa you're walking away like we got the points at the final at the final part of the game like we you know we got these points if you're tulsa but if you're el paso i i would argue this is a much more competitive game than what you played against louisville and you walked away with points i that Louisville game was not competitive in the slightest. And this is a competitive game where a moment of brilliance at the very end costs you points, but you're walking away with some anyway. Yeah, I think I think the I, I wrote a little bit about this for Seriously Loco, and this piece will actually be live for the public tomorrow morning. Um, so if you're interested in reading more about that, uh, check out our Patreon. Um, so 
look for locomotive it's basically like does the emotion of the result overtake like the quality of the performance and it's like yes it is devastating to give up a late goal like that but the blueprint and like how the team executed up until that point was exactly what you wanted to see they took what pittsburgh did in in the <laughs> the nil nil draw that could have easily been a win and basically replicated it in saying tulsa can have the ball we're fine with that um and we're gonna we're just gonna break and we're gonna we're gonna choose our moments to press and basically they chose two really good moments to press and then obviously lucho solignac also scored an absolute worldie um and so anyways like i think at 2-1 you're thinking like perfect road performance essentially exactly what you want to see unfortunately wide ball to Marcus Epps and floats across in Miles Lyons inexperienced right back lose doesn't win the header at the back post and it you know the rest is history and it's it it's a it's a draw that feels like a loss but in many ways like it is still encouraging signs for locomotive and it's a fine point on the road it's just similar to Phoenix like I can't dog Phoenix and then not say it against my own team in that like 2-1 as it's entering stoppage time like you have to find a way to see it out um and it really is just like that it is a moment like a lapse uh basically of its competition for one header which decides the game in, in the end or decides the result um and uh and kind of tarnishes what otherwise would have been like a really good second successive road win for locomotive um but yeah to your point it is against a, a Tulsa team that competed really well for the whole game they offer they were offering something unlike Louisville um which is crazy to say out loud um <laughs> and uh yeah I think locomotive can take a lot of heart it was telling that they were in training like the next day for Omaha um they did not take a rest uh and they went straight back to the to the training pitch like 12 hours after they like closed out that match in in Tulsa so um, I think there is definitely a feeling of like frustration that they lost, that they dropped points, but all in all, I think they can be pretty pleased with the fact that they put in a really good performance and looked like they had a good plan against Tulsa. And you maintain a unbeaten streak against uh, FC Tulsa and the Tulsa Roughnecks in club history. Yes. <laughs> Unlike unlike OKC Energy, we're not taking any L's from Tulsa yet. <laughs> yet. <laughs> you know, the one thing for El Paso, and this seems so contradictory to what I was saying in y'all's live chat, right? Was I believe, and I can't believe I'm saying this, I, I believe more in El Paso's defense than attack, Right. I, I look at the names on paper. I look at what they've done. I look at the film, and I really like what El Paso has brought in and the depth they have there. But that said, they allowed so many chances in the box. Every single one of the shots that they gave up from Tulsa were in the box, and the other two that were outside the box were barely outside the box. And you can say that's really good play by Tulsa that was breaking down El Paso, but at times it felt a little easy. And Tulsa has this thing at 30 minutes into every single game. They go full 30 minutes of pressing the crap out of you, going out wide, and exploiting the wings. And for that 30 minutes, from minute 30 to minute 60, El Paso looked like they had no idea what to do. 
and it looked really easy. And the question is, is that is that Tulsa being really good at pressing and really good at exploiting wings? Yes, I would say yes, they are. But we've seen them do that against other teams, and it didn't look that easy. At what point does El Paso need to look at how they play and say, all right, we can play this 4-4-2. We can do that. But we're playing so narrow that we, we just can't get out those spaces. Because for Tulsa, they were not even thinking about playing in those channels in between. They didn't care. They could care less. At what point do you make those adjustments and say, we're going out wide, and if they beat us in one of the channels, they beat us? Yeah, I mean, it is it is interesting. I think, like, Tulsa were in, in, the, in those moments, like you said, and particularly, like, from halftime to 60, it was, like, demon mode. Like, they were everywhere and it was it was like it it was really difficult for for locomotive to play through i almost think i almost think in those like in those situations the shape should help in some way like i think what what they didn't account for what they probably should have accounted for is the fact that like defending the width of the box is fine but when marcus epps plays on the other team you have to stretch your defense a little bit like you can defend the width of the box but the guy who can hurt you the most is going to hurt you from wide areas so yeah i think there is probably something to be looked at where i think they probably said hey with out of possession just stay narrow like clog clog up those central areas and it did play into tulsa's hands in a couple of instances and like on the equalizer in particular it did like that did lead to um yeah they're uh their their that that final goal um right towards the end so i do think there is probably something to be said for locomotive maybe maybe knowing a little more nuanced uh understanding of when they need to like stretch that defense out a little bit and when they can compact things a little bit more also said this in the chat and before we move on um FC Tulsa has now been on the receiving end of Velo's Wonder Strike, Tyler Pasher's Wonder Goal, and now Luco's also Wonder Strike. Tulsa really is a bangers only, but we only concede bangers only club. And I'm getting really concerned for their keeper's mental health because, like, it cannot be healthy to know that you did everything right, but you still conceded. You can't go into training and say, hey, man, if I only was had Elastigirl arms, I would have saved that. Like, that sucks. <laughs> so, rooting for a team that had this happen to them, like Oakland, like, had, like, I think it was like four, two of the five finalists for goals of the year were Oakland scoring on San Diego, and they were just like impossibly amazing goals. Like, as a, as a goalkeeper, I don't say as a goalkeeper because I don't know, but like, as a fan, like, you just got to tip your hat to that, right? Like, you just like, you can't let that get to you. And then you have to like beg them not to do it to you again in the future. Like, pl please stop scoring amazing goals against us, please. Like, that would be great. But it, I think getting scored on by a wonder goal is like, as an athlete, you understand like how big that is and like how, like, you're like, well, I mean, you just got to tip your cap, right? It's not like a, a, squ a squirter got through your legs or, you know, you got caught out and they chipped you from the halfway line, you know, and you tried to bat it away and missed. <clears throat> um, 
that definitely didn't happen this year. Um, I think those are the ones that you beat yourself up about, like getting scored on by a screamer that you had like no business getting anywhere, your hand anywhere close. It's like, all right, you got me that time. And then you just move on and say, hey, and then you scream your defenders. God, what are you doing? Yeah. Step up. <laughs> yeah. That's always, that's, a, that's always one of my favorite. That's always one of my favorite things that happens is that even I asked um, Matt Van Ockel legions before, you know, now he just got hurt, you know, but I asked him, I was like, when you make these saves, like you make these incredible saves that you will put on your career highlight list. And your first thought is to get up and scream at your defenders. Why? And he was like, well, I want to celebrate, but I know I shouldn't celebrate, but I have to get the energy out. So I just scream at someone. I'm like, all right. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> I, so, I love a defender or goalkeeper who just gets mad anytime they're asked to do their job. Um, like that is my, that's my favorite. Like just absolute indignation at being asked to do what they are paid to do. I, I respect it, honestly. Yeah, I mean, seeing seeing someone step up and just get irrationally angry over the fact that they were asked to make a simple save and say, step up, do your job as you are having to do your own job. Really, yeah. I love it. Up. I love it. Moving on down to League One, we, we have uh, Richmond versus Charlotte. And something that we've been seeing coming for a long time now is that, oh gosh, I'm about to sneeze. Oh, I'm going to try to power through this. Uh, Charlotte's going to be dangerous. Like, Charlotte's good. And I hate saying that. <laughs> I really do. But, like, they are consistently putting up shots, putting teams under pressure. And for people who are championship fans – who is leading the league in assists right now? Just some guy named Dane Kelly. Ever heard of him? Like, he's he's an assister for them. He's not even scoring the goals yet. He's just setting them up. The moment he bags one, good luck, League One. Like, it's disgusting how good they are against the Richmond team who are – they're trying to figure it out, right? They – they lost a lot of what made their defense so good last year and made them, you know, supporter shield. I guess they're calling it the player shield in League One uh, champions. They lost a lot of those pieces, and, you know, it's kind of obvious. But even then, like, at what point do you sit there and say, well, Charlotte's ridiculously good? I Yeah, I think the Charlotte team, like, quality wise is like should be in the conversation of among the best teams but it's interesting that this this match was a little bit different than the tormenta one in that they did they did create a lot um against against richmond whereas it was more about like being clinical i guess uh when when they beat tormenta um because you know it's like three goals from eight shots this this is uh i think more of a warning to the rest of league one just in terms of like where the charlotte team's ceiling is and i mean if you told me 15 years ago that gabriel overtan would be like partnering dane kelly in 
Charlotte's in Charlotte's attack, like in 2023, that is truly wild. Um, so anyways, I, uh, yeah, I think I, I am buying Charlotte. I think, uh, I think that they're going to be, that they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. Although Richmond, Richmond probably will look back at a couple of moments in this match as like, we probably could have probably could have put, uh, Charlotte under a little bit more pressure. Um, and, uh, I think they had a couple of decent chances that um, maybe last year they convert. Um, so, yeah, not it wasn't like total dominance for Charlotte, but I do think they have a really good project here, and I think I think they're they're really good. I'm buying it. I mean, this was a Charlotte team last year who had uh, three matches against the Kickers and failed to win any of them, including one match that they lost 4-0. And to already play them twice and come out of it with four points is a remarkable turnaround. We'll talk about it when we get to our predictions, but the, their game against North Carolina this weekend is really going to be a telltale sign on how well the Charlotte team can truly be this season. I think... Uh, to speak a little bit about the kickers, I think their their goal was a very creative use of wind. Like the wind was clearly blowing onto the pitch. And so uh, the cross was kind of floated in and the goalkeeper would normally come out. But I think the, the wind blew the ball kind of back and made the defender and the goalkeeper not super comfortable. And the kicker's player just puts a really nice smart like contortion towards his body to get his head down but i think the wind had a lot to do with that where the ball kind of sat up and came back down toward the player and it really made it tough to defend and i was like that's pretty creative use because otherwise you know in a normal not super windy day i'm i'm sure that's probably right at the keeper and he collects it uh but it kind of it it almost looks like he does it on purpose the camera angle is the right camera angle to kind of like maximize how much that ball kind of floated and then got caught in the wind and died. So it was kind of a, that, that goal was super fun. Uh, and it really kind of uh, made the match even more interesting to watch because now it's like they're even, but yeah, Charlotte had some really nice moments and looked really dangerous against the kickers team that plays really well at home. I think that's the other, uh, other point is they got three points on the road in Richmond, which last season was really, really hard to do. When I went back and watched this match, I was I was surprised. I was just shocked at how fast Charlotte attacked. Just how fast they were able to go from point A to point B. Um, that said, I want to play a quick game. I want to how who I want to have a guess. Everybody gets a guess how many passes they averaged per possession. Also, somebody has a bird nest in their house. I'm going to say, Nine. like, five. Okay. One dollar. <laughs> Price is right rules. <laughs> uh, ten. Fellas, no. I mean, one dollar was the closest one. 2.63 passes per possession. 2.6? Yes, they were averaging under three passes per possession. I, that's gross. <laughs> that is the definition of direct. That I mean, it is. And then think about it when you look at that and say, well, you know, they were playing super fast, under three passes per possession, whatever. They got 14 shots off. 
It's yeah. disgusting how good they are. They're going to be a problem. <laughs> They're going to be a problem. And I I don't remember where I said it. Oh, maybe it was on uh, Stalker Crush, uh, which is coming out later. Watch that ad. Um, you know, hey, maybe maybe if they can go on and we le- and win League One, they can finally afford to play their players. You know, they can pay Enzo. Why don't you? Yeah, right. <laughs> and even you can just pay- the target. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say you can pay Dan Kelly to come back. <laughs> and even just comparing uh, Charlotte to some of the teams from last season, you had three sides, Chattanooga, Madison, and Omaha, who began the year unbeaten in their first three games. Charlotte has equalized what Chattanooga did with seven points in those first three, and that was a Red Wolves team that made the final. Yeah, a Red Wolves team who has fallen off. I started getting into those like underlying numbers, and it's bad. It's really not good. Um, moving on to really not good. How about a 3-0 loss at the hands of Northern Colorado for Tormenta? Now, our good friend Tyler is very high on Northern Colorado. Thinks that they are really good at the whole soccer thing. Um, you know, they were able to put up a lot of chances. And Northern Colorado did it against uh, Chattanooga as well. But... The chances that Tormenta got were just, they were really good. They just couldn't put them on frame. I mean, again, if you look at these underlying numbers, they were dominating possession, which that doesn't always mean anything. Usually it means nothing. But when you have, you know, a penalty in the 91st, that's going to inflate your XG. But even so, they had a 1.76 XG. So without the penalty, they still had a 1 XG and came away with nothing. They had shots on target. They were able to put pressure on, but it really just didn't mean anything. I mean, I I don't know what to do with this Tormenta team. And Northern Colorado, on the other hand, is they're looking really good. I really like what they're putting out there. You know, they have Amon who is coming out there all guns of blazing. And I, the, the, the accident over the sea always freaks me out. Lukic, I think it's, a, I think it's a ch sound. It Lukic, is. Um, <laughs> freaks me out. They don't teach you that in South School. Um, <laughs> um, also playing a really good distributor role. I, maybe I underrated them, but man, Tormenta. It's yeah, it's kind of hard to like it's kind of hard to classify, I guess, like fully what's going on with Tormenta because there is an element in both of these losses of like a little bit of bad luck. But at the same time, like this Tormenta team last year just didn't concede goals like this. Like and so there is something going on like at the back where I am growing concerned for Tormenta and they actually decide in this match to make a change at keeper. I talked in the last episode about how Pablo Hara's like performance, like towards the end was kind of weird. They actually bench him in favor of TJ Bush. Um, in this one, it obviously didn't lead to any like different outcome. Although TJ Bush makes a couple of insane saves, like in the lead up to the second goal, um, where this actually could have been like further out of hand for Tormenta, because I think they, again, like just kind of lost their heads 
after a certain point, like they were really pushing to try to win the game or try to equalize, I should say. Um, and then in that like 75th minute mark, like it just, it all, you know, the wheels fall off and they, and they give up those two goals. Um, I don't know if I'm fully on board with Northern Colorado yet, because I do think like the dysfunction at Tormenta is drawing my attention more so. Um, and something to look out for with Northern Colorado is they kick the absolute crap out of people. They commit 20 fouls in this game and have, I think, six players booked um, by the end of it. So it is like it is a very physical style. It's it's like they they put you through it for 90 minutes. But I don't know if I'm like fully on board with with Northern Colorado yet. I just am. A, I'm more so concerned about tormenta's defense because they're just conceding goals at a rate that they simply did not last year to, to be fair, running the 4-4-2 to be fair one of the yellow cards was the coach so only five for the players so <laughs> sean dice uh, oh, true, true. <laughs> <laughs> sean dice is loving this i mean I, 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 sorry the reason ahead. i said thumbs down to possession is like tormenta's possession a lot of it was very like kicking around the back it wasn't very productive um in Colorado, I mean, they did a pretty good job of like lulling Colorado and op- trying to open up space. Uh, but then when they played through balls, they were almost always out to touch. I earned a dollar from Coach Beard, um, and, and not very successful, right? Like this is one of the things that was was a problematic in this game is just they would work their way down the field and then they would waste possession. So you had these like really long stretches of possession, and so your possession stats look fantastic. But I think Colorado was okay with them just having the ball. They were just clocking up, uh, making it really difficult to play. They felt very much like um, UConn or SDSU's defense where you just don't – like it's very physical. It's very difficult to get a good shot. It takes you a really long time to get into a good position. And then by that time, you're just like exhausted and you're not playing to the peak of your abilities. And I think Colorado was able to put Tormenta off their game and then – you know, do what they needed to do to get three goals that were, you know, pretty good goals. And I thought Colorado looked like they were in control of this match without the ball, which uh, is probably one of their strengths. And it'll, it'll be interesting to see if they can keep up that intensity for the, the rest of the season. Cause it, I think not only kicking your opponents takes it out of them, but I think the way they defend also can take it out of them as well. So it'll be interesting to see how they maintain that. I almost want to think that this is just the universe providing karma for Tormenta's offsides goal that counted in their first game uh. that, <laughs> I mean, if you take that away, they're sitting on one point potentially, depending on if North Carolina was able to get their act together for that game him to start this year. And I just, I think the overall concern is like, even if you look back from last season, Tormenta had the odd, like bad result here and there, they had a four nil defeat to central Valley at uh, an early part of the year. They lost to Charlotte three really? nil as well, but they're replicating their same struggles they had at home last season with this season. And this is an early stretch of home games that you're seeing against Charlotte, Northern Colorado and Greenville this upcoming week that they're not getting any points from. And this was a team that waited until their seventh home game of last season to get their first home win. And even by the time they won the final at home, that was only their fifth victory in that stadium all year. And it's a concerning thing that these are, in a league for USL one where we basically almost default to the home team should be winning their games. They're just not. They hate winning at home. 
I think I think they finally started feeling bad for the eighty year old grandma down the road. So they're like, we cannot do the siren. We just can't do the siren. Not allowed. Like, just can't. Can't have it. Um, I have a assuming both teams win, and I'm really now rooting for both teams to win. So I'm sorry, Colorado Springs and Tormenta. But I really want Northern Colorado to take on RGV just to see how many fouls happen in that match. That's my that's my U.S. Open Cup sicko request. Um, just see how many fouls Northern Colorado and RGV can accumulate between the two. I I don't want to see that for the players' sake. <laughs> um, I mean, we do have an RGV team who is going up against Tormenta, so uh, rough going for Tormenta having to play against Northern Colorado and RGV in consecutive games. They're playing the same team twice. Going to the gauntlet. <laughs> but luckily this one is in Tormenta, so they don't have to deal with Edinburgh. So that's a positive. I mean, I can't remember. The, it's H-E-B, right? Is that Heb? Yeah. 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 Uh, I could not. H-E-B. H-E-B? Yeah. Heb. Heb. It, no one says Heb. Heb. <laughs> I want to make it a point. Now it's going to be Heb Park. No one says that. Uh, it's going to be Edinburgh or Heb. Um, <laughs> the, whole of Texas is a, the whole of Texas is about to lose their mind. Mine is El Paso. Me- There's no AGB in El Paso. Messing with Texas so, here on the It's a real US sore spot. So. <laughs> the Copa Tejas can suck it. Um, <laughs> just going after the whole group. Sorry, Danielle. Um, <laughs> moving on to predictions. We have some interesting ones, and let's start off with, honestly, the two biggest, nah, not the two, but I mean, two of the bigger losers of this last week, and that's Louisville City, who lost 5-0 to Sacramento, and Detroit City, who lost 1-0 to RGV, who was most te- most of our locks for the week. Um, this is a matchup between two teams who are massively underperforming. And we don't know about about how Louisville is going to play against Lexington because that happens tomorrow. But we do know that Detroit City you know, just squeaked out a 1-0 win that probably shouldn't have been a 1-0 win. I mean, they were not playing very well against Gold Star FC Detroit or whatever it is. Um, I'm pretty sure that... I'm pretty sure Gold Star is a chili company in Cincinnati, so I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I, this is these are two teams that massively have underperformed these last couple weeks, and I'm not really sure what to do with either one of them. So we're going to start off with Ryan. For the predictions, but we'll. This is the the way we've done these is that we can talk about the week before and the weeks prior. So this might this will end up being recaps as well. So, Ryan, who you got? I really don't know what to make of this Louisville team. They're at their in my ELO ratings. They're at their lowest ever rating since their first game of the 2019 season when they lost the opening game, I believe, four one to I think North Carolina that point but this is their worst ever loss this past week in club history the previous one they had was a 4-0 defeat in year one 
against the FC Montreal, the B team of the Impact, as they were known as at that time. It just, this isn't a Louisville side that we're ever used to seeing give up these sort of results. And it's just not one that I believe is so easily fixed. I mean, yeah, they've gone through their injuries and uh, has been like an early season crisis, but this just isn't a Louisville team we're used to seeing. That being said, like Tottenham, they are somehow still fourth in the table right now and <laughs> could get a result turned around. And I think that's what they do against a Detroit team, like we said, um, just squeaked out an Open Cup win. So I would take a victory here for Louisville City, but it's not one that I'm incredibly confident in saying. Also, for people who aren't watching the live stream, uh, San Diego is, or San Diego, San Antonio is down one nil to Club de Leon FC, which is playing with players that don't really exist. <laughs> it's playing with regens. <laughs> Steve Stevenberg. <laughs> <laughs> um, Manu Ginobili. Um, that would be great. Um, <laughs> That would that would bring the San Antonio fans out even more. Um, San Antonio I, hasn't had a shot on target. Like, what is happening? <laughs> Sorry, it, it's the magic of the cup. Um, this one's tough. Like, I was watching a little bit of the Detroit City versus the Gold Star Belgrade match, and Detroit <laughs> City didn't look super great. Um, they haven't been super offensively good either, right? They the three games they lost, they scored zero goals. Uh, but then again, uh, that's the same story for Louisville, who let in eight goals over the past two games, which is absolutely wild. Um, to borrow a uh, boomer term, I did not have that on my bingo card. Um, I, I do think that there is a bounce back here. I think Lou City is good enough uh, to get this done. I do want to highlight that John did pick Lou City as his lock. Uh, so there is faith from the person who knows more stuff than I do. Uh, but I, I do think Lou City kind of puts this together uh, because I don't think Detroit is going to give them as much of a, a, a game as the, the two previous teams did. I, uh, so I do want to, I do want to say that San Antonio absolutely like is shipping this game. They played a total youth lineup. That's why, that's why they like, they said, yeah, we're good with the open cup, I guess. Um, anyways, the uh yeah, for Detroit Louisville, I have it down as a draw. Um, I I think this like you know, maybe we see a response from Louisville, but I think Detroit, as always, like tough to break down. Uh Louisville, the the concerning thing for me is just like the lack of goal scoring outside of the Orange County game. They only have the one. So that's where it is like a little bit. They're on a bit of a dry spell right now, and I think uh, it continues and Detroit and Louisville kind of nullify each other in this one. I think I took Louisville City, but I think it was entirely for the fact that they're playing at home. This, again, comes down to my personal belief or my personal thing of I refuse to pick draws. Um, but I, you know what? Here's the thing, though, is that yeah, towards I think it was like the 73rd minute. Lehan for Detroit had a it was a hard finish. Don't get me wrong. It was a hard finish. The ball bounced up hard, you know, key worth pitch. I get it. But also 
it's a goal that he probably in training puts on target at least, you know, nine times out of ten. And he just simply skied it well, skied it over. And how different are we maybe talking about them if they come out in the 73rd, get that goal back against RGV, who did look pretty good. Like, it's not like RGV just looked awful. They they looked solid. They only had their eight chances, but five of them were on target. They were working Steinwasher. And the goal they had was good. I mean, I this is our RGV team. This is also where you have to remember, this is not the same RGV of old where they're, they're walkover whenever they're not a heb, right? You know, they just, you don't just get to, <laughs> I broke Alan. Um, you know, heb is my new Robert Lilly and I'm going to, I'm just going <laughs> to keep pushing these agendas. Um, but like, this is a decent Detroit city team that if a guy like Ben Morris, who has the talent, he had his, I think, one shot, and it was like uh, just a chance just to see if he could do it, basically. And it wasn't much of it that came of it. But, you know, if a guy like him can turn it on and really start playing, they can they can start scoring because the groundwork is there. Um, I will say um, they finally started Adrian Bilharp. Um, in this match against Gold Star, um, and he looked really good. So, hey, Detroit, I don't want to tell you what to do, but like start him more. He's kind of good, and some of your team is not playing that good. So, do what makes you good. Um, but I'm taking Louisville City, long way around it. <laughs> you have something to say, Phil? No, okay, no. okay. I guess uh-huh. the last thing on the game is that, uh, shockingly enough, the two teams with the worst goal difference in the league is Tampa Bay and Louisville. Crazy. <laughs> Tampa That's Bay crazy. confuses me. Uh, it's fine. We'll we'll get there eventually. But here's the... Mm, I was going to say match of the week, but I don't think it is. The, sec- the match of the week in the championship, San Antonio versus Sacramento. I will say, compare in my ELA ratings, these two teams have two of the best three ratings right now in the league. San- Sacramento has my current league highest rating, with San Antonio just two points back. And FYI, FYI Birmingham is also even on same rating points as San Antonio. But this is the glamour tie of the weekend for the championship, and maybe why San Antonio is playing such a youthful lineup in the Open Cup tonight that they have their focused on. Sacramento but I don't know I there's just something about San Antonio this year that just hasn't clicked for me quite yet and Sacramento just seemed like a more complete team right now that I have Sacramento going in to Texas and getting a win yeah this is uh this is for the championship of the first five weeks uh, in the west <laughs> game. yeah so this it's like the Tottenham slash Manchester United uh league championship um, we won the first five weeks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is the trophy right here. Yep. You'll never never see that. Like that. Uh, these are two teams. Like I, I understand like San Antonio might not look as good as they did last year, but like that's a really high bar to not look good compared to. Uh, but I do think Sacramento is the stronger team right now. 
they've let in a single goal in four games uh, that included Lou City, San Diego, um, and gave up a goal to Charleston, which is like of the four four teams they played, that's not the team that I would necessarily have said they would have given a goal up. Uh, they look really good. Uh, they're defensively really sound. They they're they're playing very similar to like Sac or San Antonio last year, right? You score a goal and then you just bunker down and make it impossible to beat you. Uh, but then they decided to do that like four more times against Lou City. Uh, I am going to pick Sacramento, and San Antonio fans will be happy that I locked Sacramento. So I'm picking against. So uh, San Antonio fans will be happy with me again. <laughs> Congratulations. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I guess I'm keeping it boring here because I pick Sacramento as well. I, I think they are, of the of the teams in the championship right now, they are the one that has clicked the, the best. And they're obviously coming off of a huge high in terms of a, a huge win, historic win over Louisville. Um, but I think they go into San Antonio and out mentality monster, the mentality monsters, uh, <laughs> because I think, I, I, yeah, I think they, they have that style down pat. Um, what is it? The, uh, yeah, the mindset minotaurs. That's what, that's what I'm going to, yeah. So, um, anyways, <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I think it's, I, I think they, that Sacramento will get the, get the win here. Um, because they, they've clicked and the rest of the league is still figuring their stuff out. I mean, when you're looking at San Antonio's last game, I mean, it's scoreline says two one, but the goal is a ball floated to the back post. Gleedle gets a touch, has at least eight yards of space around him, picks a spot, and Jordan Farr just ch- chokes it. And I hate saying that because he's been out of his skull, but when you rely on a keeper that much throughout the season, he's going to, there's going to be a little chink in the armor eventually. And he showed it and he was also a stud, but also San Antonio, you know, only allowed two shots on target, three shots total in this entire match. But I mean, I said Monterey Bay was my sneaky pick to like my dark horse to win it all. I mean, Sacramento has to be a lot of people's, like, they're going to win everything. And I don't know if they can get away with a performance that they've been having against these other teams against Sacramento. I don't think they can get away with it. I'm going with Sacramento. I can't wait for San Antonio to win by seven. Because it feels inevitable. <laughs> I will. I will say just in in terms of closing out that match, like Sacramento, Sacramento with Russell Cicerone is like genuinely terrifying. Um, like it was scary on paper. It's even worse in real life. I mean, they haven't had a double digit goal scorer in five years. Russell Cicerone is a double digit goal scorer without trying. It's gross. It's I, so gross. I don't like it. <laughs> Moving on, we have Birmingham versus Phoenix Rising, a matchup on Easter Sunday. So, honestly, like no one's going to be there. So, and much like everybody trying to watch the U.S. Open Cup, if no one's there to see it, did it really happen? Hmm. So. 
Yeah, this is an interesting one. Another game for Birmingham being at home. Uh, I was looking out through their schedule from last season, and you have to go to their 20th game of the season from last year when they played Tulsa to find the last time they didn't score a match at home, and that's including the playoffs in this season. So that's 11 consecutive games that they found the back of the net. And I just think Phoenix is still trying to figure things out, and this is just going to be another one of those really tough games, especially going cross-country for this one, that uh, I've locked Birmingham to get a win. Yeah, I think that the midweek game is really going to 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 hurt uh, Phoenix's chance of being successful in Birmingham. Um, sorry, Birmingham, Birmingham. Um, yeah, there's no G. Do not pronounce the G. Silent. There G. is there is a G in Birmingham, and it's you, Kaler. Um, so <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> can we, can we edit that out. Can we edit that out. Cut that. Um, <laughs> They're, I mean, they're playing. They're staying at home so they can prepare for Greenville. But I think that the the travel the next day, your basically recovery, uh, is going to be a tough match for them to to, to play. And going east, west coast teams um, might not have a great time. Uh, but essentially, against a, a Birmingham Legion team who's playing pretty well, um, I just have a little bit more faith in the Legion at the Legion the Legions. <laughs> Three sparks. Lesions. Lesions at this point. Three, three sparks. There's three sparks. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm looking at the chat too much. I, um, so I'm, um, I am locking Legion as well because we're dooming, we're dooming Kaler to, uh, a loss for sure. Um, but that being said, it, the the bottom line is I don't have faith in Phoenix's defense, and I do have faith in Tyler Pasher, and that is essentially what this boils down to for me. Is you've got a guy in red hot goal scoring form, and you've got a team that is still not like stopping. They're not they they just keep conceding goals, and I think Phoenix continue to concede goals. I think Legion find a way. It may be a little bit like the Tulsa game. It may be a little bit like of a crazy you know punch drunk sort of game but uh we'll see we'll see how it goes but yeah i think i think legion and i've locked them i also took birmingham i think yeah i did um i don't i'm nowhere near as confident as you guys are though because with phoenix you you look at and this always said earlier right there are three the first three games are you know, Charleston, San Diego, and San Diego. It's about as bad of a start as you could ask for when it comes to which teams you play. Um, when you look at Legion, I don't know what you make of them yet. They look good. They look consistent. But, you know, the Tulsa game was what it was. But Hartford, they looked good. They looked dominant. But also the underlying numbers say that it was an extremely fortunate win. And then Tampa Bay is changing their entire identity right now and how they play. And it's not working because believe it or not, you know, trying to fix what ain't broke breaks it crap. Like <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. So I, I guess I have a little bit more questions about the team Legion have beat. Um and Right now, I I think 
I have Birmingham just for the fact that they are at home. Phoenix have that away game. Granted, or they have to travel away. They have the midweek game, even though Legion are have two straight away games. You know, that little bit of home juice, maybe that does something. I I also just want to throw it out there. It's a very good chance that our starting goalkeeper is not going to be playing. So it's going to be Trevor. It's more likely going to be Trevor Spangenberg again, whom has had a great two games, but these last two matches, but also traditionally speaking has not been as good as the starting goalkeeper who to thunk it. Um, so it's little things here and there that worry me. I'm still taking Birmingham, which means they're going to lose and ruin my Easter Sunday. But whatever. <laughs> he is risen. <laughs> he is risen indeed. Let's hope Tower Pasher rises and scores. Um, or we can just keep letting Legion can keep letting people who are five eight and shorter score headers. They they have every single one of their headers that they have scored this year have been from someone who is shorter than five eight. I don't know why they confuse me, um, but for, the, for all of us short people out there, then. <laughs> short Kings can also score headers, <laughs> put it in your Tinder or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> next up is our, my personal match of the week. I, I circled this one early on. It's going to be, I think they're calling it the dogwood Derby. It is, North Carolina FC versus Charlotte Independence. Uh, the team who in North Carolina preseason, everybody thought was going to win the league versus Charlotte, who everybody is now everybody's current favorite to win the league. Ryan. Yeah, this honestly has to be the game that you watched this week. And if you can only watch one, I think it's going to really dictate how the rest of the, this at least first part of league one is going to go. Interestingly, if you're looking at previous results, Charlotte has a combined uh, score aggregate of seven to two in their last two games against North Carolina, both of which were wins. And I think that continues. I think Charlotte is just going to continue to have a really great offensive display. And I'll take Charlotte to win in a multi-goal fest from both sides. I'm going to go because Charlotte's been playing so well and North Carolina has not been as good as people thought. I'm going to go with North Carolina because it's USL League One and that league is absolute chaos. And so... I'm assuming that the weirdest thing possible is going to happen. And so I'm going to go with North Carolina. That's probably fair. I've, (laughs) I've gone for, I've gone for Charlotte as well. I think, uh, you know, for all the reasons that Ryan said this, they've been playing consistently. They're scoring goals are creating chances. I, I think, um, yeah, I think Charlotte get it done on the road. Um, but yeah, crazier things have happened. It should be a really entertaining match. You know, when you look at these two teams, the big difference between the two and why one's scoring goals and why the other one is not, North Carolina is being so particular about their shot selection. They're taking their shots like they have a limited amount that they can take. And it really confuses me. And they're creating really good chances when they take those shots. They're on target, testing the keeper, and they have a pretty decent conversion rate, but they're just not taking them. On the other hand, Charlotte is taking shots like a 21-year-old. Like they, It's ridiculous what they're doing and trying to put up. 
because of that, I'm going with Charlotte. I feel good about it, but for the exact reason Alan said, League One is stupid. It makes no sense. Um, which it's actually been more chalk this year than the championship has. So I don't know. I don't know what you do with that. Um, moving on to the final match of the week, we have Geo's Daddies versus Geo's Employers, Tormenta versus Greenville. Yeah, I. This is a really tough game to predict. I mean, this was a team that Tormenta was unbeaten against last season in the regular season and included a game that finished with 10 goals combined scored. And, I mean, you just have two teams that need a result out of this one. And I think Tormenta really needs the result more than Greenville to just kind of, like, at least, like, quell any fears about the season. And when you have something like that, when there's just two teams that need a result, I feel, oh, that's going to end up just being both sides are going to be left unhappy, which is why I'm picking a draw in this one. <laughs> um, I went with South Georgia, and that was before I watched last week's South Georgia Tormenta match, and I'm not feeling <laughs> as confident about it. Uh, but I do think that you know there was some positivity to get out of it. Um, I, I think that there's there's a team there that I think can start putting things together, um, and so I I don't have a, a ton of to go with with Greenville, so I'm just saying I think South Georgia Torment is going to put something together and and stop the bleeding because um, there's a lot of red on their standings right now. Yeah, I went with Tormenta as well, and partially just because like. Triumph haven't played in two weeks, so I I think like Tormenta for all of the stuff that they're trying to iron out and defensively like some of the issues they're having, I think they're going to run into a Triumph team that is equally like trying to figure out who they are this year. Um, and so yeah, I went with Tormenta because I think they've had at least more time to iron out some of the kinks where Triumph are going to be still kind of figuring it out um, as they go, kind of building the plane while they fly it. This is a Tormenta team that hates winning at home. Um, and this is a home game. And on the other part of this, and this is the reason why I'm going with Greenville. I think Greenville has a good team. They're going to figure it out. John Harks always seems to figure it out. But honestly, this is an honest-to-God reason. And it's something we talked about earlier. They just went and played Northern Colorado, who fouled them 20 times, and now they're playing RGV, who makes it a goal to get at least 20 fouls a game. Tormenta is going to be so beat up come Saturday. I know Greenville's going to and fro uh, Phoenix, but I, I honestly think that the flight from Greenville to Phoenix is going to do less to their bodies than Tormenta having to play Northern Colorado and RGV back to back. I that's and this is if they have to rotate players, if they have to, you know, say, hey, our starters are a little beat up because guess what? The League One team is probably going to try to go for it a little bit more. They're not going to rotate their players. Tormenta is probably going to be a little bit more beat up. And if they have to play some subs, that's advantage Greenville to me. So I am going with Greenville, the triumph do triumph and geo can finally get the, you know, the bolt size bulk off of his back. But 
that's about it, I think, for the night. Uh, you know, a whole bunch of Open Cup stuff happening. Oakland's winning. Uh, San Antonio have tied it up. You know, this kind of comes back to my point with San Antonio, that if I was a coach, I would just simply tell my players to score. It seems to work pretty well. Hey, just shoot and score the ball. I don't know why more coaches haven't thought of that. That's what the that's what the goalkeepers are yelling at their team. Yeah. I think that's what it really is. Oh, score yeah. over there! <laughs> <laughs> don't let yeah. them score here. You score over there. You take the ball and push it over there. Yeah, that's kind. Of, I think that's the conversation every single time. We at what point do you think we we can pay? Because you know USSF is all about getting as much money out of their you know people as possible. Um, at what point, like for example, if we decide as the USL show that we want to rack up a couple thousand dollars and try to stream a match, do we get choices on how to stream it? Like, can we decide what happens in the match? Because if we, the USL show, decide we're going to put together money and stream a match, every player is going to be mic'd up. Every single one. <laughs> I want every player to wear goggles like the Google Glass that has a camera where their eyes are so we can just see their point of view from the entire game and you could just switch from player to player at will. <laughs> every, every player has to wear a chesty GoPro. <laughs> I actually just want them to wear those the, the beer goggle ones that people like. <laughs> and like, good luck, guys. Good luck. <laughs> Because uh, if you if if U.S. soccer isn't going to take Open Cup seriously, why should we? Right? Like beer goggles <laughs> on everybody. Like let's make it let's old MLS shootout rules. Like let's just go ham here, right? I feel, <laughs> I feel bad for our country, but this is tremendous content. Like, <laughs> <laughs> look, people hey, if MLS is going to decide their playoffs based off of a three-game series for some reason, let's just embrace it. <laughs> you the three game series is kind of like what they do in the in the Swiss league where they play one at home play a, play one away and then play one at a neutral site that's every single whenever we get to the USL league cup whenever that comes that's the format we host it here on the USL show every player is mic'd up penalty shootouts the to make it a little bit more even it's going to be from the spot but the taker has to wear the beer goggles. The keeper doesn't have to wear them. Every, team, every team gets 10 minutes use of a horse. How you use that is <laughs> entirely up to you. But every team, 10 minutes, horse. It's like <laughs> cricket. It's like, uh, or uh, not cricket. Uh, polo. What, polo, thank you. You get a little bit of polo. It's kind of like, it kind of comes back to my idea of how to fix baseball. Um, Rob Manfred thinks it's a shot clock. I think you create a second league for everybody who gets caught with PEDs and just let them juice nonstop for 80 days. Like, <laughs> just send them to their own PED league. That's their suspension. You have someone throwing 116, and you know what? Every single game in Colorado, and the batters get metal bats. If you want to fix baseball, that's how you do it. Now, we're going to create the Yuma rule, which, by the way, at the end of the Tulsa game, Yuma got massacred, and like every, all all of the Western Conference stood up and clapped. Everyone um, was like, "This is this is fine. <laughs> Don't worry about it at all." 
Um, but this kind of goes to another thing of we're going to call it the Yuma rule, where you, at one time every game, the ref or your coach will give the fourth ref a piece of paper, and it's not a sub rule. It's actually the player or the coach has decided that one player will get to go studs to kneecaps one time. Now, if they fail, they don't get it back, and the other team gets to take a penalty. Like, if they just miss, the other team gets to take a penalty. Uh, Risk-reward. I also think, like, we should put – like, old indoor soccer used to have, like, a two-point line. Like, if you shoot from a certain distance and score, it's worth two points. Like, let's do – like, we can do, like, rock and, rock and jock soccer <laughs> in the U.S. Open Cup where there's just, like, random circles on the ground that's, like, worth three or four goals. If you chip the keeper from halfway, it's five goals. Like, let's just <laughs> – I think we can really do some really nice brainstorming on this, guys, and come up with a a way. I mean, uh, Total Soccer Show did like a legit how do we fix the Open Cup, and this is the USL Show version of that same conversation. It's like uh, the Harlem Globetrotters. Instead of penalty shootouts, it ends up just being a freestyling competition. Whoever has the sickest moves gets to move on. Goalie wars decide the U.S. Uh, the U.S. Uh, Open Cup final. Don't even play the game. It's just goalie wars. <laughs> oh boy. We fixed it. We did it, guys. <laughs> Look, if they're not going to stream the games, we might as well have fun with what people can't see. <laughs> Absolutely. Final thoughts on the night, Mr. Ryan Allen. Yeah, um... I, it just occurred to me, I think I saw the article earlier this week, but uh, with the Super Mario Brothers movie coming out uh, this weekend, are we in a, like a really weird renaissance of video game IPs being turned into motion pictures and TV shows? I mean, we obviously had The Last of Us, and I clearly don't think Super Mario Brothers is going to reach the heights of that show, but then <laughs> you had Sonic um, a few years ago that got a sequel halo had something i was like have we like slowly gotten back into accepting video game movies into society again or is just like have that be more prevalent so yeah just the random thought that i had today assassin's creed almost ruined it for everybody um was that they jake gyllenhaal yeah they tried <laughs> <the best. laughs> i was gonna have something clever and then ryan like just threw me for a loop and now i have i, I have nothing <laughs> I was like, wait, what? And then my ran it was just it Oh was yeah, D D. There's a D D movie. But D D isn't a video game. Yeah, it's a game though. It's like yeah, The Witcher was another one. Oh, the mm-hmm. Witcher mm-hmm. which was so good. Prince of Persia. <laughs> oh wait, was it Prince of Persia? And not Assassin's Creed? Did I mix that up? There was an Assassin's Creed movie, and it was that not was also good. not good. Okay, it yeah. wasn't Jake so, Gyllenhaal though. That was Prince of Persia, which like whitewashing. So, yeah. if it's good enough for pr- the Premier League, it's oh wait, I mean, that's sports washing. Never mind. I got to mix up. My bad. Alan, do you have any final thoughts? Joining union. Okay. Good. Good. Good shout, <laughs> Phil. Uh, I, uh, in terms of movies, I, me and me and my wife did a double feature the other night where we watched the fugitive, um, which I had never seen. I don't know. Don't ask me how I had never seen it. 
if you haven't seen the fugitive absolute classic harrison ford tommy lee jones it's unbelievable and it is painfully 90s if you want to just like understand what the 90s were like just watch that um and then uh oh michael fassbender okay that that's what it was anyways I, wrong northern european too. wrong northern europeans trying to play like middle eastern but okay um uh, and uh <laughs> and then um and then we watched the devil wears prada um after the fugitive um i uh the fugitive uh, s- super good movie devil wears prada solid movie stanley tucci in the devil wears prada 10 out of 10 maybe 15 out of 10 unbelievable performance um so yeah just uh wanted to give old stan tooch his flowers it's fine everything's fine we've already gotten our first comment about our predictions things are going swimmingly um so uh for me uh I have done the final recording, uh, so this is going to be, unless something else comes up at some point, this is the final truck recording that I'm going to do. I'm moving on. I finally get to do this in air conditioning. So that's cool. God dang it. (laughs) (laughs) So this is the end of an era, I guess. I don't know. I like air conditioning more than the truck, I'll be honest with you. It's hot out here right now. Um, But... Yeah, it's exciting. Move-in dates tomorrow, which, you know, six moves in five years. I'm never doing it again. I'm probably going to move next year. Let's just famous be- last words. I was going to yeah. say, <laughs> I've, uh, I've, I've I've said those words. Uh. <laughs> I'm sick of it. I'm over it. <laughs> so, uh, I don't really have any music recommendations this week. I've been too busy hacking. I got nothing. Um. I don't know. Um, mm, no, no, I can't pull anything out of nowhere. I've got, I'm, I'm out of ideas. So, yeah, I think that's about it from us. Kit season stuff is coming out. Oh, I guess I can plug that. I think tomorrow, the hammering down kit goes live, and it's kind of a banger. So, like, check out Olive and York at some point. So, yeah, dope. Um. But thank you all so much for listening. I think Alan wants to go to bed, so I'm going to stop talking. But for the final time tonight, uh, here's Alan's voice. Thank you for watching another episode of the USL Show. This and every episode is brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network. Find podcasts and other written work at bgn.fm. Once again, thanks for stopping by, and we'll see you guys again next week.